Today, Sam and I chat with Noemi Rigord, who used to work as a migration and human rights lawyer in France before she moved to Australia and became a full-time mental health social worker, both in private practice and at the Queensland Program of Assistance to Survival of Torture and Trauma. You'll hear about how Tungo, her therapy dog, was introduced to a very multicultural and diverse workplace and the careful planning that was done to ensure a positive experience for everyone. Noemi and Tungo did their therapy dog training through us, which is how we've been able to have this conversation today. Enjoy the episode. Right. Hello. Hi. How are you going? Both of yeah, you. We've got, we've got Sam and I, we're going to be talking with Noemi today. Um, so how about we just start with um, you just telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do yeah. for work. <laughs> what I do for work. So hi, Sam. Hi, hi Maxine. Thank you for Hello. having me. Um, and so, well, I work actually in two different um, settings. So I'm a mental health social worker. Um, I've got a bit of a different journey because I actually I studied as a migration and human rights lawyer in France. But when I came to wow. Australia about oh my 14 years ago, <laughs> I know, but I've always worked more as a social worker in any jobs I was doing and always kind of, you know, working alongside people to amplify people, you know, voices, but also with people who didn't necessarily have access to rights in society. So I've always worked in a multicultural setting. Um, but yeah, upon coming to Australia, in, you know, about I don't know, 14 or 15 years ago, I kind of continued in that trajectory and, and became a mental health social worker a little bit later. But at the moment I work into, so I work as a mental health social worker in two different therapeutic settings. So four days a week, I work at QPAS. And I'm going to explain what QPAS stands for, but it's a mouthful. It stands for the, Q, the Queensland Program of Assistance to Survival of Torture and Trauma. So it's a specialist mental health service for people who've come here as refugees or asylum seekers and who um, are needing you know, support to heal from trauma. It's kind of, it, it provides different services. It's got, you know, we work at all level in the sense that we work with individuals in individual counselling or youth work. Um, we also work with families, again, you know, through, you know, counselling, family counselling, but we also work at the community level where we, you know, we work, we engage with communities and also mainstream services to support their engagement with people from refugee background. And we also do group work um, so that's what I, where I'm at. I am wow. four days a week. And then one day a week, I've got my own little private practice, which I started about a year, year and a half ago, um, which is also interesting because it's located. So I use a room in a GP clinic that's called Inala Primary Care, which is in a very uh, multicultural area. So even mm. just, you know, reception there is really multicultural. So, mm -hmm. you know, what I've I use in my setting at QPAS, I use the same, you know, assessment in terms of, you know, who Tango can say hello to when he's, you know, walking through reception. So mm -hmm. Tango is my dog, she'd say that. So mm -hmm. yeah, so kind of, there's this commonality there too. <laughs> wow. And can you um, tell us a little bit about your dog Tango as well? Yeah, so Tango is a two and a half years old um, golden retriever and is um, such a, you know, curious, you know, dog and and you know playing you know, like he's really playful as well so he's he's obviously he's been with us since he was eight weeks weeks old and um is you know he's 
like my husband and I have two children, but we, you know, we say he's our third child, which, <laughs> you know, my mom is not too keen about, she doesn't have the same attachment to you anymore that I, I do. So she's clearly saying, you know, I'm not the grandmother for fur baby, you know. Oh, come on. <laughs> the grandmother. I know. I think because she's in France, too, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't, she hasn't been able to build that relationship with him. I'm sure if she was in Australia, she would not. Yes. But yeah, but it's, you know, it's just a, you know, He's such an amazing dog. I, you know, obviously I love him to bits, but it's so wonderful to see him, you know, when he works with me, how he is with other people, but also what he brings to other, because it's like, and you would know that, you know, in mental health, we also have clear boundaries between, you know, um, work and personal life. So yeah. we can also sustain ourselves in this work. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to see how he also has kind of, two different type of behavior when Mm. he's at work and when he's at home so when he's at home is my shadow is always with me and you know and when I say he's like a kid it's you know the same as when I had toddler you know even going to the bathroom it it can be hard to (laughs) have that privacy because he's got to be just lying Mm -hmm. on the other side of the door but when I'm at work he's like he might check in with me now and then but he's really around the clients like he's really more around them and he'll check in with me sometimes but he's really hovering around the clients so yeah which I find really interesting it is so interesting (laughs) and my dogs are the same they we uh live on a little sort of hobby farm 10 acres here and um my dogs oh I've got areas that are fenced dog fenced for them we have to be really careful because there's dingoes that come through but um, when I'm feeding horses and stuff, they come out, you know, and they're just, whenever I'm out on the farm, they're just out with me. And I, I forget, but we could be doing something like I could be sitting or like I was fencing yesterday. So I'm like fencing, fencing, fencing. And it was raining. And so they were sitting just inside the barn, just sleeping. And I'm fencing, fencing where they can see me. And then I went to go and get something from the house <clears throat> and they're all up and they're with me. And mm. you're like, I just, you just forget, like, they're so switched on to like, well, obviously we're going with mum, like she's going somewhere. So obviously we're going with her. Like they do it all the time. We'll be sitting around the fire pit, like for an hour, you know, and then get up and walk to do something. And they, they're up, they're awake, they're up and they're walking right beside me. And I go like, oh man, because at work, they're not like that. Like they're really, they're able to focus on the other person. I just think it's amazing how they have the ability to do that. Yeah, that they know the difference. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. And even with Tango, like he knows when his vest, because he's got two different therapy dog vests. He's got a Q-Past one and then he's got the therapy dog Australia for the Friday work. And, you know, as soon as I take that out, he's like, you know, like his behavior, obviously people can't see me because it's a podcast, but, you know, I've just kind of shifted, you know, my, you know, he's, he's lifting his head, like he's on alert and he's like, you know, his ears are peaking and perking up and he's like, oh, I'm going to work today. And he's kind of, you know, already puts on his cute. uniform. Yeah. <laughs> Bless. <That's good. laughs> Love it. Love that. Yes. So, um, we really want to talk about today, like, you know, obviously you have a, f- a fascinating and very important role, a couple of jobs there. I worked mm. in Anala actually at the headspace um, down there when I was a provisional psych and yeah, incredibly multicultural. I actually went into the, um, so the Anala headspace is in the shopping center, just on the outside of the shopping center. And I used to go into the flexi school as well with Sunny. 
um, my oldest oh, therapy dog. Great. Yeah. So I spent, um, quite, I think it was like two years in that area and yep. So like, so it just totally different sort of space to the suburbs that we have that are less multicultural in Australia. Like just, it's a really, as soon as you go into those suburbs that are more multicultural, you can't deny, like you can't miss it. Like it's amazingly rich with culture. So um, what we'd like to talk about is the things that your role entails in terms of, you know, what is your job as a mental health support worker, so social worker, sorry. What's your role is that like, what are you um, helping people with? Like, is it something in the community? Like what, what kind of goals do you have for your time that you spend with the people accessing your service? Yeah. So, um, so in that, in that role as mental health social worker, it's really like any other therapist. So we mm-hmm. would probably do very similar thing to what, you know, counsellor psychologists would do. And again, um, so in, there's lots of mental health social workers in private practice. You get, you know, referrals from Medicare, work cover, um, victim assist, um, all this point of referral, you know, private counselling. But I guess the difference, and I don't, you know, I'm not a, a psychologist like you, Sam, so I wouldn't know, but I guess our training as social workers is we probably take a more systemic approach to, mm. to you know, how the person's well-being is. So it might be yeah. that we look at, you know, the relationship that they've got and it might be that, you know, some of our intervention is about linking out as well to other services. Mm. Yeah. So it might be, you know, referring to, you know, if I'm seeing a young person who's quite isolated and they wanted to, you know, meet new people, it might be about working at actually where where can they go to kind of meet new new friends you know where or they a mentoring program that they could be referred to um to kind of build those you know social relationship um but it's also looking at you know family relationship bringing in you know the partner or other family members you'll be in a flexible approach as well to kind of work yeah. on the system that the way and describe it to client often is to say, you know, you know, like plants, we need, we, you know, grow up in an environment and depending on, you know, the resources that's there in the environment, we can thrive or not thrive. So, you know, what mm. can we, how can we resource your environment so you also, you can thrive more than, you know, what's happening for you right now. And yeah, yeah so it's kind of the way we said. Hmm. It's a real it's community a, focus. Yeah. Community yeah. based sort of more. So, Yeah. Yeah, okay. and that's why also at QPAS, yeah. you know, and it's the same at QPAS too. Is we've got so we've got people from all sorts of you know background. We've got counselors, um, psychologists, social workers, but we, the role that people hold are counselor advocate role because we know that sometimes, in particular, when you work with people from refugee background and asylum seekers who you know may face racism or discrimination, uh, we sometimes need to you know walk with them and amplify their voices in different services so they can we so we can improve the access to you know the social determinant of health and in improving the social determinant of health we improve mental health and well-being so that's why they can be you know there can be sessions that are really therapy you know therapy focused and Mm. you know more an existentialist narrative approach but other sessions that might be more based on advocacy and helping them talk to you know Mm. the real estate or talk you know know you know how to you know seek you know access uh, free legal advice or financial counseling if that's Mm. what's impacting their well-being yeah love that um, I often feel like very contained. I'm I'm more of a social worker at heart. I and so 
side note, one of my strengths is involving myself in everything. So (laughs) (laughs) just getting really involved in things that have nothing to do with me. (laughs) So (laughs) I should have put that strength to use, but anyway, um, psychology can be so restricted because it's designed to be very person centered of like, okay, so you, you person, which is great for lots of people, but it also is hard because um, a lot of the time the person can't even tell us like what's going on for them in their life. And Mm -hmm. like, it is great to get information from other sources and we can do a bit of that, but it's not really the core of what, we're doing you know like we sort of it's more more just a person centered thing and it's heartbreaking when and I'm sure it is for you too but when we can see that a system's not right like I can see that this system isn't working um but I'm so restricted by what our role in it is that you know we can we we need so much permission and you know we don't have Medicare items for additional support outside of the room. Like it's just so, the Mm. system's just so restricted for like, yeah, anything that you want to do outside of that. Whereas like I've got a a young person at the moment who recently had a social worker come on board and, oh my goodness, it just changed everything. Like it just changed everything of, you know, they got everybody talking and, yeah, like all collaborating, they collected information from all the, like, cause all of us allied health were all working, you know, sort of independently or like, cause, and there'd been changeovers of allied health and stuff like that. And so, you know, like the whole thing, it was just, it was fine, but it wasn't good, you know? And then the social worker came along and was like, well, just organized everybody. Right, <laughs> and I was like, to the same oh my page. God, thank God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. And then, yeah, there's like been an app that, yeah, they organize so much stuff. And now I have an ongoing person that I can keep talking. Like that person came in, they had like a, it's like a service. It's like a three month thing. Um, then they handed us off to someone else who can now take on a bit of that role. And I was like, ah, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah. And that's so true what you're saying, because yeah, the risks in having, you know, individual intervention, um, focus where that are funded is sometimes that you know take away the need for you know everyone involved to you know also collaborate and touch base mm. with each other obviously within the limit of confidentiality and with the client's consent but sometimes it's so important because we know that a person that they've got multiple parts to themselves and mm. so the way they engage with one practitioner might be quite yeah. different to the way they engage with someone else and what they'll share with someone else and so being able to get all those parts to kind of come together and collaborate yeah, yeah it's yeah it's that again it's that system it's creating you know the best thriving environment for the person so good I'm, I miss working because I'm in private practice so I'm like the most restricted but um yeah, I miss working in places like Headspace and stuff like that, which is like your multidisciplinary teams and we case conference things and oh yeah, yeah you can yeah. really bounce ideas and yeah, yeah that's right. And that's yeah, what's amazing too at QPAS. It's because we may have someone who's, you know, part of a group, but then, you know, that person's children might be seeing a youth counsellor or a youth worker, and then we'll have the partner who's also having their own worker or doing their own. So we can be working, you know, with a whole family 
at different level too because yeah, wow. you know because we know that trauma impacts you know families and impacts mm. relationship and so and so what we can support this family together they all, they might also need that on you know um support to get to the point where they can you know heal you know from from yeah. trauma too mm. so now that we understand a little bit better about what you do can we have a look at like what are some of the challenges for people to engage like what what makes your job hard um so that we can then have a look at so how does tongo fit into that yeah so in my area of practice the main thing is stigma about mental health and um you know that's a significant barrier where you know people might put then and i mean in australia like in other culture you know mental health has often been seen as something quite separate to the body and people might attend to their Mm. physical needs first Mm. before they attend to the well-being and so even deconstructing that um but also and and i mean even in australia we're saying that you know more and more people start to worry about mental health and that's really something that covid helped with Mm. um but there's still you know people still think about you know going and seeing someone might be a sign of vulnerability and they don't you know that they won't prioritize that as much as they see you know prioritize seeing a a doctor for example so that's one thing you know at qpas what we also see is that you know counseling or you know, well-being, mental well-being might not translate well in all language. Or you know, we're working mm. with cultures who are quite collective. So even the simple action of trying to look inside or in our own feeling and our own emotional, you know, well-being might be something completely new to people. So even just yeah, building that awareness, working through that, and that's why we've got all this program at QPAS where sometimes you know people start working, coming to a group or you know the homework club we used to have, or we catch up with young people at school because counseling may be a very foreign concept so that's one thing and um and also in you know the barrier to engagement can also simply be that there's so much going on for people at times where either they might be settling you know in Australia and they're still learning you know how to catch public transport how to go to TAFE how to look for jobs that again you know uh, mental health might not be prioritized so it's really building those relationships softly to kind Mm. of build increase that capacity Mm. so is one of the points that you're making there is it different for people of different cultures to like think about themselves like to like think about who they are and think is that what you kind of were saying yeah that they may not necessarily um they may not necessarily allow themselves to like for example if um they're sad or feeling depressed they may not necessarily realize that that might be that they need to attend to themselves um, they because don't make the they, link. yeah, because yeah. they don't make the link, or they haven't been encouraged to think about them individually, because there's so much focus on you know collective, um, collective you know the, the needs of the community yeah. that it might be about how the you know the community is going, how the family is going, but not yeah. necessarily about spending time on themselves, looking actually at attending their own needs. And so, for example, the way we might see that that and and we have multiple experiences of this at QPAS is we might have a parent, and often that's a mother coming to us because they're really worried about the children, and for years we'll engage with the children. We'll, even though we know that this mother really needs some support for herself and it might be really good for her to see a counsellor. But then after, you know, two or three years of the counsellor working with the children, then we'll get that 
that mother to finally agree for a referral for herself and then she'll start engaging. So, so it's, it's not unusual for us to need a significant length of time to engage with, you know, caregivers and parents. So with, you know, other people in the family to then see the need to engage with themselves. And sometimes, you know, in other communities, we've got that where we've got, um, you know, where there might be, you know, and we've seen that with men also where, you know, they might have relatives engaging with us. But, you know, when we engage with them, you know, when they bring their relative to the session, we see, you know, a lot of burnout, a lot of fatigue because mm. they're just holding so much. And, you know, through yeah. those incidental conversation, you know, we've been able to then bring those men into, you know, a men's group and do more social-based activities because, you know, the one-to-one counselling might not necessarily be what they're after either, mm. but just a space where they can breathe they can do fun things they can connect with others um so that's yeah that's why we've got all those different programs to kind of you know um normalize you know attending to our own you know well-being but also engage with people in ways that are meaningful and and feel safe for them Mm -hmm. because one-to-one counseling doesn't feel safe for everyone and it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. what everyone's need either often you know people can hit can heal in groups as well and that's why we've got those different layers I can understand being in groups sometimes mm. that can be a way for you to go oh someone else is I didn't really think about that but that's exactly how I'm feeling and oh yes. I didn't realize and then you know what works for one person might make you go oh maybe that would work for me too so yeah I can totally understand that group settings can be really healing mm. in that way it is yeah mm. is that a um something that you need to teach then so particularly like your like older teens and adults have grown up in cultures where they're not focused on themselves do we then need to teach like insight and self-reflection and stuff is that a thing or is it there but it's just no one's ever asked it really depends and um and I think that's where we also at QPAS, we don't necessarily see, you know, Western mental health as, you know, the expertise there. So a lot of yeah. our work is around seeking the expertise, expertise and the wisdom from the person themselves and also us adapting to how they communicate about their needs. So it might be that, for example, um, you know, we're seeing, trying to think about an example, but it might be, that we're seeing, you know, someone who's talking about, you know, them, you know, having nightmares a lot, you know, and or also feeling worried about doing things. So that's where we might bring some, you know, some psychoeducation about the impact of trauma, about what that might be. But when we do that, we also ask people, you know, why do you think that's happening? What explanation do you have? And but also, and that's what we call our cultural formulation. So, for example, in certain culture, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there might be people may have spiritual beliefs that make sense according to their own experience and so our role then is not to negate that and say oh no you know that's not true you know like western you know traditional western psychology tell us that this is this it's not we just Mm -hmm. kind of breach the two and often you know the spiritual understanding or the cultural explanation really makes sense in their own way and what we're offering is just you know listening and then offering also either different perspectives also simply normalizing what they're going through using their own wisdom yeah. and it's really and that's why also I enjoy the work so much at QPAS because we're not limited by the number of sessions which you know mm-hmm. in a private practice setting 
you are often limited. Oh, yeah. And what we're seeing at QPAS is often that work takes so much time because building safety is the first element. And building safety can be as sometimes as simple, but as time consuming as just being consistent. And so even though the person's coming, they meant, you know, they we're not very clear what their goal are, but they're seeing that we're here every week or every fortnight that, you know, that we we still there, that we can hold whatever they're saying. Mm. And and we may not like we may not have clear goal that they want to work on the depression or not having no longer, you know, nightmares. Like we you may not necessarily be clear, mm. but we know that they're actually learning to trust us because they've experienced torture and trauma. So they've basically their belief in humanity has been shattered through the experiences that they had. And so we know that actually even just them coming to a room with us, a new person, mm. a stranger, is actually an incredible step in itself and incredibly healing. Even though they may they may not necessarily consciously realize this, that's actually what those first mm. steps of trauma counseling is actually that rebuilding that trust in 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 the relationships. Mm. It sounds like um, a lot of it is just about the safety and like yeah. the security and like allowing them to hold space as well and be able to express themselves and not feel yeah you know, judged or yeah. And that's the first big element. And, and so one of our Bible at QPAS, I shouldn't say Bible, but, you know, one of our really important book at QPAS is the book and the work by Judith Herman, you know, called Trauma and Recovery, which I think her work was mostly around, you know, women um, who, um, so, you know, her book, she talks about multiple personality disorder and now it will be DID, but she worked a lot with survival of sexual violence and so significant trauma. And I've obviously at QPAS, the trauma people I've experienced can be sexual violence, but it can be torture it can be you know war related persecution or you know combat related experience etc mm -hmm. but there's there's kind of three main stages the first one being around building safety the second being a, around remembrance and mourning so that's where we might you know people might relate to trauma processing we can take mm -hmm. we can take many shapes for different people and then the third one is more you know that um reintegration back in the community so that being able to reconnect to the community um and once, you know, the trust has been built, what we're seeing, though, is that often we weave in and out of those phases, but safety is definitely the first step. And that's why we've got all those different programs at QPAS, because um, people have different understanding of, you know, what mm. QPAS is in the community. And there might be belief that QPAS is just for crazy people. And, you know, we don't know what's going on in the community. So that's why we've got, you know, we go out into school, we've got men's group, women's group, because then people can actually realize that we're safe. We're a safe place. People don't have to open up if they don't want to. So that, that's how we connect. And we work with community leaders as well, who, because they're the one who support the community. There's just so much more work that we, we can ever be able to do. So that's why we've got all those steps. And I think that's also probably where Tango is really useful too in that first safety. Like my client um, facing time at QPAS is a bit limited because I've got a team leader role there, but is working with me with, you know, a client and then kind of supporting in other way. But that's where, yeah, it's really lovely to see him there too because he, people will relate to him differently to how they relate to human being. And so when you had have experienced significant interpersonal trauma like you've had when you had to escape your country due to war and violence, then 
you know, relating to an animal or feeling safe with an animal might look different to how you relate to human beings. But it's also considering that they may have had really negative experience at QPAS. You know, like we've had clients who've been tortured by dogs as well. So we had to be really careful. And it took us over a year to bring to bring Tango into safety plan around how we were going to do that safely. But I've realized I've taken you on a tangent. Like I've started talking about something completely different. Sorry. Oh no, 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 no. This is this is all amazing. It's so important to be able to talk about this stuff. Mm. Like it's it's something that um, you know, we touch on really briefly in the course around like cultural differences, you know, like not everybody is gonna wanna pat your dog that you love within an inch of its flipping life. Other people's situations can be different. But I'm so culturally naive, despite doing multiple cultural trainings, working in Anala, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like I know that there's stuff there, but I've just, it can be so naive in terms of like the actual, yeah, implementation of, of this sort of stuff. So when you, what was that 12 month, like what, what had to, that 12 months between, you know, graduating and taking him in because he's an amazing, like he's one of the happiest dogs you'd ever meet. Like he's just so funny. Like he's (laughs) real, he's a real, real cruisy dude. Like to your typical Goldie, he's just lovely. Yeah, and that's a risk in itself because he loves people, but I can't let him go to everyone because not everyone wants to meet him as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's also what I need to factor in when I work with him. But going back to those 12 months, kind of first day, like the thing that I find really useful is what you touched on, Sam. It's the course, like doing, you know, the clinical course. And I started it when he was only a puppy. So I started it before he could even start working because it was nine months when I started the course and I really I went in wanting to kind of look at you know what is it I need to work on with him as well but knowing that it would be a long process at QPAST mm. as well and so but first you know in the course having that having that like that's really something maybe you said that was such a small part of the course but I really sank in with me or in terms of you know there needs to be a benefit for you know the client and the animals mm. but also they need you know you need to safety plan and there was a there was I think one of the assignment was around actually risk planning. And that yep. was, and that's where that's what that was really helpful to go through that around looking at, you know, what are the different risks? Yeah, there might be, you know, the risk of allergy, but actually there's also the risk of re-traumatization or Absolutely. you know, it's it's bigger than that at QPAST. So I was also really lucky that, you know, I've, you know, when I I was really interested to 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 do this, to kind of, you know, um, work and do this with Tango, I kind of straight away started to talk to my manager and my, and our CEO at the time, it was Gemini at the time, and about, you know, my interest, and they were so supportive. They're like, you know what, yeah, go for it, give, tell us what we need to do to make this happen. So that was the first step, you know, kind of doing the training, presenting to the leadership team to say, well, we know this is why it works. This is a theory behind. Mm-hmm. This is where it could work at QPAST. Just starting to give people some understanding of what that could look like at mm-hmm. QPAST, but then also telling them, well, now we need to go into a phase of consultation with staff because, you know, like, like lots of things, you always hear about the enthusiast and there's so many dog lovers at QPAST, <laughs> which, you know, was like, yes, you know, Tongo, you know, yes, we want to see what is happening at QPAST. But then, you know, you don't necessarily hear about those who may have, you know, yes. reservation or may have be Not worried about it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and I, that's where, you know, we've got so many, like everyone at QPAST is just amazing. And, and so I've got really wonderful, supportive colleagues who 
well, then I had each team leader kind of going to their team and consulting with their team around, okay, what are the worries here? What, you know, what we think might be the benefits? How do you see that happen? Because at QPAS also the workforce is really diverse. We've got people from maybe what, 60 different countries, you know, talking different languages. So it's not, we're not just talking about clients mm. having different experiences with dogs. We're also are talking about colleagues who may be coming from countries where there are lots of feral dogs or who may have had very negative experience with dogs growing up as well. Yeah. So, so that's the first thing that happened is for a few months there were consultation with staff around what the worries were and you know what we thought the benefits were and then then bring that back to the staff member group and then having also individual conversation with those who had more reservation because what I found really interesting too is there's lots of prejudices around what certain people with certain religion might feel towards dog. And in talking mm. to colleagues and interacting incidentally with, you know, other people and members of the community, that for me, that got really challenged because then I realised that, because, you know, like people would have said, you know, in Muslim culture, you know, dog can be perceived as dirty. So people may not want to to approach dogs but then I had Muslim client giving the closest hugs I've ever seen you know to Tongo and being licked by it so you know so it ultimately come down to having an understanding of what you know of the cultural belief or religious beliefs around dogs but also not necessarily taking that as you know the rule for everyone mm. so That's, that makes it so hard like <laughs> like so it's not yeah. just a myth that, you know, like, so some cultural, some cultures are going to have, I guess, I guess I'm being really basic right now because of course, like in my culture, yeah, there's people who like dogs and people who don't like dogs. Like I, you would say yeah. it's probably Western culture that people love dogs given our rates of dog ownership, but there's definitely people within that, that go, don't fit that. They don't yeah. like dogs or don't want to be around dogs. So I don't know why I just thought, I don't know. Yeah, so you come down to that. It's so then ultimately that's what it became for me. It's like, well, like anywhere, there'll be people who are really keen to say hello to Tongo and interact with Tongo, and there'll be other people who will have massive reservations. So what I'm going to look at is people's body language and get and, and I mean and that's very evident when I go to Inala on the Friday because you know I could like you'll see because I don't work with everyone there but when we walk through the GP reception you can see the people like oh dog oh, and they want to yeah. say hello and that's the moment I love because mm-hmm. Tongo all the incidental interaction but then you can see people who really withdraw in the body oh, yeah. kind mm-hmm. of and so then and so that's yeah. what I'm saying I always walk Tongo on a tight leash when I'm walking through that area and kind of scan the environment because mm-hmm. I love when you can say hello to someone who's really keen to say hello because then all of a sudden they're not looking bored they're looking happy and they're patting this you know beautiful dog while waiting for their appointment but, but then, then it's not the challenge it... like what if they're sitting next to someone who's giving indifferent or like they're closing themselves off to the interaction and then there's someone right beside them who's like oh dog like even that kind of dynamic it's just yeah. so hard to manage like you don't want to you know have that person feel rejected who wants a dog but you have to be so aware that but if I take the dog to that person who's inviting the person one seat over from them they're either giving me signals that they're not interested or they're not giving me any signals which means I have no idea 
That's right. And that's why, yeah, I guess now that you name it, yeah, it's probably why I feel so tired also at the end of the day because you're kind of scanning <laughs> oh, yes. all and trying to really take all this in so you can keep people safe. And so yeah. going back to QPAS, that, that was really what was my priority and what I said all along to all staff is, you know, if if we can't make it happen at QFAS, we don't make it happen. But, you know, yeah. let's see. So that, that was the whole plan around the consultation process with staff is around, we just want to know, and if we can make it, we cannot make it happen, we just won't make it happen. We just, you know, just interesting to know, is that another form of intervention we could, you know, um, we could provide? Because we had also a lot of incidental information from staff who were saying, so two main things. First staff who had dogs were talking about the incredible benefit on themselves and their own mental health of owning mm -hmm. dogs and that belief, but also in therapeutic session and counselling session, a lot of clients were bringing up pets and it can be dogs it could be pigeons mm. could be donkeys and often that would really support the therapeutic process because you you could process grief and loss and you could you know talk about attachment through bringing in pets so so there was already this this animals were already holding a space in some of the counseling session so we knew that they, yeah. there was a benefit that was possible and so that consultation process kind of happened, heard from everyone. And then what was really lovely too is to hear from my colleagues who had either negative experience with dogs or in the culture were not used to have dogs inside their home. And then, mm. you know, they brought up in another country, could be, you know, in the Middle East or in different African countries, but then saying, but you know what, my kids, they love dogs and I don't know how to interact with dogs. So maybe we also need to learn, you know, how to interact yeah. with dogs, you know, like I, I really got wonderful feedback from colleagues who really wanted to also grow out of that mm. and did not just want to stay in that comfort zone. So yeah. all of this then informed our risk management plan. So then, you know, I worked on the risk management process and, um, and you know, finding also the right insurance to also be covered to do this work at QPAST. Um, so that, and yeah, so fast forward after, um, yeah, that was about a year of work that it took. Um, and then also, um, you know, finding, you know, clients who we could because we don't necessarily it's not like in your clinic Sam where we can just say that's what we do like where you can fully mm. advertise it as you know that's what we also specialize in yeah because it's just me you know I, I can't see everyone as us we yeah. don't and 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 we all it's probably it was still a trial phase I guess initially mm. still to see actually is that working does that work to come in you know once a fortnight with Tonga because he works once a fortnight with me at QPAST. Um, and and so so really was identified, like it was someone had been working in counselling for years and there was, you know, significant, like we'd process the trauma, but there was still significant interpersonal trauma, depression and grief we were trying to work through where, you know, like, you know, when you work with people who are just chronically depressed um, yeah. and where there's not even a glimpse of hope or joy mm. and the, the body has also forgotten what it's like to feel you know a little bit of happiness a little bit of relief and that's where I kind of and um, it's hard to know what you're aiming for then like yeah it's you don't know what that for they may never have really felt that or noticed that feeling when they felt it and then it's yeah just totally atrophied and everything yeah. that you try to work on there's so much hopelessness that yeah it's like yeah, it feels like you're forcing someone to try and 
find this thing that it's like that's probably a myth to them like yeah. you know so they're not really on board with the journey because it's like yeah like you do all this stuff and you get to this magical feeling and they're like what magical feeling it's nonsense like it's not a thing yeah. you know I feel like it's got that real vibe around it of like it's yeah there's no point working towards that what they don't know you know that's right. And I think that's one one of the speaker at the animal acid um, conference was saying when she was presenting about the animal acid psychotherapies, often it's even just that embodiment of actually interacting with the animal that kind of takes you out of your usual where your body is usually is when it's in that chronic state of depression mm. or anxiety. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of starting you know, with some kind. And then what I love too is that there's so much incidental benefit of having tango um mm-hmm. in the office unit for staff so you know I've had staff working through the anxiety around dog which is you know incredible um but also where my office is if tango is with me it kind of sometimes give directly onto some of the counseling rooms so I had you know client coming in to see a counselor and upon exiting they would see tango and they're like oh who's that and you know kind of sick interaction and and yeah, one of the things that I love, like it happened some time ago, but um, at the time, so we work with asylum seekers and um, asylum seekers, m- many of them have been for years in immigration detention whilst, you know, because they've come here mm-hmm. to seek safety, um, but because they came by bot, um, they don't really have a pathway to seek a protection visa in Australia. So often some of them may have been in immigration detention for eight or nine years. Oh my God. Yeah, without having committed any crime. And mm-hmm. so just, you know, because they're seeking safety. And so at some point we were fortunate that we could have them come to our office. Now we've got to kind of go to the place of detention. But, you know, when they would come, there was, there was in particular one of client who kind of so, you know, Tongo initially thought he was a guard dog. And, but then, you know, was curious and Tongo gave him the best hugs. Like he came around <laughs> because he invited him around, like that client invited him. Mm-hmm to come and say hello and you know his counsellors were then reflecting you know because those people have been in immigration detention for so long they haven't really had opportunity to get no. hugged you know to have hug or no. have human connection you know to yeah. get that touch that is so important in healing as well and it got it got leaked it got you know it got rolled over by tango in those mighty hugs <laughs> and you know, and then when this comes, you've got the giggles that come. Yeah. You know, the giggles that we never yes. hear. And we've, yeah. we've got that with clients as well who are really chronically depressed. It's, that's the only time the giggles and the little laughter wow. comes. That's only when Tonga is giving those big hugs and doing his, you know, the, the, his, his hugs that he knows how to say, which are massive hugs. It's basically his paws coming onto your shoulder and it's him pushing his face into you with his toy. Like, you don't know what he wants to do. You don't know if he wants Nala to give you his that. toy. Like does that yeah. too. Like does yeah. that. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a bit, you know, he's a 30 kilos dog. So he's also a big dog. And so, so all this, that's what we call, you know, the magical moment when magic happened. And so Tongo's had, yeah. you know, has brought many of those magical moments where, yeah, it just gives some, it, it's like, you know, minute, a few seconds or a few minutes of break when, you know, everything feels, you know, helpless or hopeless. And, but then it's like, yeah, the joy come up and then then you can anchor into the sensation. You can go back to, you know, how does that feel like? How was that like, you know, to sense, you know, where did you feel that joy? And, you know, like you, you can use that. Um, and to and be that, re- yeah, like, magic. To be reconnecting those brain 
pathways again, you know, like those pathways that haven't fired, like Mm. that's, it's just amazing to think that you can sort of fast track that process because it's probably going to be a hot red minute before that person's going to come across something in their environment in detention that's going to make them feel that way you know like I don't know what detention centers are like in terms of having opportunities for that kind of uh, interaction but yeah I would imagine that it's going to be a while before there's something that comes into the space that makes you you know be able to have that opportunity Uh, the clients that I work with are I get some that are um, quite like oppositional and, and I work more with like challenging behaviours and stuff like that. And um, they'll be like, you know, oppositional and defiant and not engaging and stuff like that and all it takes. Does Tongo make that noise when they've got the toy in their mouth and they go <laughs> with it? Yeah. They're doing that like snuffling noise yeah. and like, Nala doesn't care that you're an angsty teenage boy. She doesn't care, mate. You're getting the toy put in your mouth, okay? So because it's the Nala show. And so she's climbs on people. (laughs) And it's so hard for they can't not crack a smile, the suckers. Like (laughs) they crack the smile and they have the giggle and it just completely changes the tone of the whole interaction it really makes such a huge difference to have yeah. that even just one little moment it just really it's so helpful I found yeah yeah it's magical <laughs> there's a couple of things that you you've talked about that I want to circle back to yeah um one of the things that I think people could take away yeah. is that you took the risk of training the dog um before you had your workplace really on board Um, And that's a risk that I think probably not enough people take um, because it's expensive to train your dog and it's this whole thing. And what if they don't allow it or the workplace doesn't allow it? stuff. But when you do it that way, it gives you time. It gives you so much time. And I really like how much time you took to, I'm not saying your run has to take 12 months at all. Um, Yours is obviously a really unique situation, but one of the things that I think, happens because people have said it to me is they've broached the idea with colleagues and staff and management but they haven't given everyone enough time to really think about what could be the challenges here and so they maybe get this initial kind of like oh oh yeah like that could be something we could we could look into and then you know, the person takes that as a yes and off they go. And then they go and invest in everything and the training and stuff like that. And then they come circle around. And we've had multiple stories of this where we circle around, come back to the workplace. The dog's now been trained and assessed and they're ready to go. And now there's a problem at the workplace. And it's, Mm. you know, like, and we have people that are moving workplaces and stuff, which is fine. That's what I would do. Um, changing workplaces or whatever, but there's a lot of frustration and things like that, or that, you know, the dogs go in and then they're disallowed or stuff like that, because we didn't actually have proper cohesion in the workplace before we took them in there. And I think both, you could do it both ways, but I do have a lot of people, a lot of people contact us and they're like, oh, I'm just, 
I'm just waiting to get approval from my workplace. But I always think, but how are you putting forward a case to have the dog there and manage the risks and stuff when you haven't done the training? Like, how are you? Yeah. You're not going there enough with your dog. Yeah. And or through, like what through training what and how. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is it going to look like? Like that? How are you putting forward a case of how it could be beneficial, how you could implement the program? Like you, you must just be putting forward. I think we should have a therapy dog here. Like, do you know what I mean? And not having any real concept around like, yeah, but why would we do that? And how would we do that? And what would be the risks and how would we mitigate those risks? And what would be, you know, a cost benefit analysis, like what would the outcomes be and, and really giving workplaces enough time. And I know it's like a catch 22, like the chicken or the egg thing of like, yeah, but I don't want to invest all my time and money if my workplace isn't going to say yes. But how do you get your workplace to say yes without you investing the time and money and the training and going and doing it so that you can put forward a proper case? Because if you ask them, yes. if you go and ask them, so like my kids that I work with a lot of time, they want to, uh, they want something from their parents. We teach them to put together like PowerPoint presentations and stuff to explain to their parents, like, why should you be allowed? Like, you, you know, you, they're coming into the adolescence, like, let's start looking at like, what are your parents going to be thinking about whether or not you should have you know, a sleepover birthday party, you know, are they going to be thinking about all the noise you're going to make, all the mess you're going to make, what money it's going to cost, you know, who are going to buy it, like blah, blah, blah. So if we try and like, you know, teach them how to um, bring forward an idea and like sell an idea and, and but take keeping in mind what everybody's like, like perception of that idea is going to be. They do it to ask for like pets and stuff. It's pretty funny. Some of my kids do it without me telling them and working on it with them. <laughs> they just do it. It's really funny. Um, So anyway, point being, you're going to have a, such a shitty PowerPoint if you haven't done any research. Like how yeah. are you, how are you putting forward these ideas if you haven't done the training so the other I don't thing know I actually want to interject with that is the fact that they need to also pass pass a temperament test that's um, the thing too like, like it's... just knowing that you have a dog yeah. ready to go can help yeah and I think that's but... definitely what convinced them to like look I was very lucky that you know QPAS is a very innovative workplace so they're always you know happy to hear ideas but you know if and and let people you know propose ideas and go through mm. and I think you know that that's what happened in this situation I said you know I'm interested in that I'm going to investigate and I'll report back and but having done the course I think essential to that because exactly what you've both said you know Tongo like there was first an, an indication that actually a therapy dog not everyone can be a therapy dog handler and not mm. every dog can be a therapy dog mm -hmm. and like you kind of go going through that thorough assessment and evaluation but also because, you know, there's there's those myths that are still being rebuffed in the community and, you know, it's not because your dog loves people and is great with people that I mean, they can come to your workplace or come and, you know, mm -hmm. work with clients. And there's lots of confusion between your know, visitation dogs and therapy dog and therapy dog in a clinical setting and, you know, therapy dog in the community setting. So even having, you know, I love the theory in the content of the course, you know, so basically my PowerPoint was about that. It was about the, the you know, the theory first, what, you know, why you know what does the research say what does the theory say about you know having you know therapy animals mm. um you know that 
the benefit for clients, the benefit for staff, um, but also, you know, the risks to consider and kind of, you know, some idea of how it could be incorporated, but also just the process of, you know, what we need to look for in a dog, what's, you know, what it, you know, how do we know a dog can do this work, but also how do we know that a handler can do this this mm. work? So it kind of covered responsibility, but also emphasised, emphasize, you know, the, the well-being like the the equal balance between benefit for kind benefit for the animal as yeah. well um because you know like i said there's lots of dog lovers at cupas and so everyone was really enthusiastic about you know starting this process and i felt like I, you know i can see myself again you know kind of rearing back saying yeah i know there's lots of enthusiasm but hang on we've got to be really <laughs> careful we've got yeah. to think this through and we can still decide at the end if we continue with it or if we don't do it again because is, we is work that with the people. lawyer in you yeah. maybe or it's more that I know that we work with people who had the choices and voice taken away from them so many times so you know really wanting to make sure that we didn't forget to amplify you know our client voices but also our staff our staff who may have had really negative experience but when you see you know so many colleagues being so enthusiastic about something you know you don't really feel like you can be you know the one putting the spanner in the work so it's kind of yeah so that was more around that and yeah it's just lovely to see how everyone's embraced you know tango and tango you know who you know want to you know is going to say hello to him when he come and who you know will just watch the side but also you know how everyone is kind of progressing towards saying hello to tango they don't you know they working through stuff and yeah I love hearing you talk about it like that because um I haven't really put all these thoughts together in this way before but it's like you're when you're the the handler, you have to be the go and the woe on the whole program. Like you've got to be the one who's advocating for the program and implementing the program, but you've also got to be the woo up, like woo up guys. And we talk to people about that all the time. We were like, you have to advocate for the dog. Like you have to advocate for yourself and the dog and what, what is, you know, what are you capable of doing? Like if you're not capable of working in this setting or that setting, because you should know by the time you finish the course, you know what you can do, what you can handle, what your dog can handle. So you got to woo people up too. We talk about that in like dealing with managers and workplaces and stuff of like being able to put the brakes on because sometimes they'll get excited and want to like go, 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 go. And we have to teach people to say woo up, but we're also having to teach people to say, let's go. Like it's such a funny dynamic Mm. to try and balance that out and stay in the middle of like, this is what I know that we're capable of. And this is what I think we can, you know, realistically uh, contribute, but I want to stay within that. You know what I mean? It's yes. a funny dynamic. Yeah. I really yeah. like as well, um, you know, having, having that much time for people to voice their concerns, not so that people can voice concerns and then we can't run the program, but so that people can voice their concerns and feel like we're bloody well listening to them so that, we can hear that and then we can workshop those things. And that sounds like exactly what you've done because you've got one of the most difficult settings to take a dog into um, in terms of the amount of people. And something that people just don't seem to have crossed their minds because we've got dogs going into schools and community centres and stuff like that where we have got a very diverse group of people there. And I feel like sometimes our handlers have got blinders on around well, I love the dog. So everyone loves the dog. I think surely, surely you understand, Mm. you know, we talk about cultural differences, fears, phobias, allergies, and stuff like that. 
but it just rolls off the tongue and I think maybe people don't fully get get it when because you love your dog so much you're a bit biased you know but you can being get able to caught up in the moment you can. too you're like, you oh, can. Look at him. and yeah you're not thinking I feel like it's something a conversation that's been missing um from this space around you know some people don't want your bloody dog there like they really don't want the dog there that's and it could be for a range a range of reasons can, actually can you enlighten us as well around like so what are some of the cultural is there any you know sort of fairly general ones that we can kind of rely on is it or some like categories so like obviously we've got trauma with dogs so like lots of people come from countries whether they're war-torn or um do we still say third world countries is that still a thing we say no we say the global south the global south yeah i think so yeah okay yeah good great (laughs) (laughs) i asked um if we're uh people coming from those areas where dogs are stray or you know that sort of thing obviously there's going to be some difference or even just countries where people come from where dogs aren't pets like they're just Mm. wild and even when dogs are pet like you know there might be culture where dogs are kept as pets but they don't jump on the couch you know like there might Mm. be beliefs like that so and that's why I found it's really hard to to know for sure so it's been um yeah it's been about yeah just assuming that most people are uncomfortable, like I keep myself and I'm assuming that most people will be uncomfortable with dogs first until we check actually what are the level of comfort. It's safer to go this way rather than assume actually most people love dogs and kind of, yeah, and unpack yeah. from there. Mm. How, what's and, the actual the, introduction? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, um, what's the actual process with introducing Tongo to a, a client? Like do you yeah. speak with them about him for quite a few sessions before you bring them in or what's that so process it's been um so you, you, again it really depends in which setting so there's a, a cue pass tango so on the front in my prior practice day no tango is there all day so really people don't have a choice i've got a phone call and in like a new tech phone call with people saying you know these the way we work this is the way Tonga will behave you know mm. if that happens but you know you've got a choice of you know coming to see me or not like you know and che- mm. because sometimes like th- when I get referrals most, pe- most people know that I've got dog because they'll check my website or you know they'll be referred by the doctor who's familiar with that but if you know occasionally I get people who've got no idea and you know and so that's why that initial phone call is so important because then they can exercise mm-hmm. that choice then and I can recommend them to another practitioner if you know they don't want to be sitting in a room where there's a dog whereas that QPAST is only there once a fortnight with me so it's really only a small amount of people who kind of client who interact directly with him so it's so the way so we often it might be things like you know, do we see that there's a bit of a, not a great deal of engagement there? Would bringing in Tango my help with, you know, getting mm-hmm. that client to come? Because, you know, sometimes when clients are really unwell and they've got so much going on, they won't prioritise therapy. Mm-hmm. But it helps saying, you know what, we also have a therapy doc who visits sometimes. So so we use the diamond model as well at QPAST where, you know, I'll be the triangle model at time where I'm the therapist and him. But sometimes, like on more, it's what I call the occasional, you know, um, intervention of Tango is in that diamond model where there's a counsellor who will say, you know what, I'm really struggling to engage this person here, but, you know, they love animals. Do you think we could do a joint session together? And that's where, you know, we'll, you know, we'll offer that to the client. Mm-hmm. And But 
but the counsellor needs to have a purpose to approach me about this. They need to be mm-hmm. able to say, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's what he will bring because the ideas that they manage the session, I can then just focus on Tango mm-hmm. and supporting everyone's safety. So, and that one is more casual. Like we were exploring last last year, it didn't happen because I ended up having COVID, but we explored having Tongo in one of our youth camp with, you know, the purpose of then doing you know, like a workshop around both, you know, um, you know, emotion regulation, looking, you know, how dogs behave and young, you know, and, and also emotions in human, but also simply some information about how to interact with dogs in Australia. Cause there's so many mm. dogs mm. in Australia, yes. you know, what you might see, the behavior you see, and you know, that not every dog will be like a therapy dog and, and mm. have, so, you know, that caution as well. So anyway, ended up having COVID didn't happen. So hopefully this year we can do it cause there's another camp coming up. But there's also, you know, like I'm going to go and do a home visit soon where we thought, you know, bring in some playfulness to kind of help look at the relationship between you know, some of our, our family member and client in that family might help. So it's kind of that. And that's why I love it. It can be everything and anything in mm. a sense. And, and you know, it gets me to work with other counsellors across teams who think that might bring something yeah. you know, to, the, to the relationship. And, yeah. But definitely in terms of what I've seen in my prior practice on Friday is that like the engagement is really high. And I think that's really Tongo because there's so much love for Tango. And, you know, and even when I come to QPAS is the one that Erin greets first. And then people are like, oh, hi, Naomi. (laughs) 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 He's the story of an animal assisted therapist's life. It's always the way. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, also it's, like I love all the incidents, like even going back to QPAS, obviously there's a sign on the days here, there's a sign on the door that says here, but, you know, through when I go out to, you know, if I go out, get a coffee, you know, downstairs, there's also a settlement services downstairs. And so if everyone's hanging around, they're like interacting with Tongo and they're like, oh my God, a therapy, like you kind of generate conversation. And, yeah. but also like, I know I was talking about a salon seeker before, but when we used to have, you know, them coming to our office, we also had the guards of the immigration centre coming and would sit and, you know, they would, Tonga would go interact with, like he's on the leash obviously with me, but if I see that, you know, the body language is inviting Tonga, I'll kind of go around and let them say hello. And and there can be something really dehumanising in the guards as well when you're, you know, mm-hmm. when you see, because you know, it's 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 a it's an immigration detention environment, and as much as we try not, you know, to build safety for clients when they come in, there's there's still guards that are around. Yeah. They're in plain clothes, but we still know it's guards. So there's something that also humanises them in the fact that you see them interact with dogs, and you know, for a minute, they're no longer, you know, just you know, they're looking at you know the people they've brought in. They, you know, actually they're interacting with an animal, and they become human, and then the person you know, the, the person, our client can also see that where they may not necessarily have a relationship with the guard because they're not supposed to. And so, you know, that's all those little aspects that are so wonderful. And even on the day coming to the office, you can, and that happens too on the on the Friday when I go to the GNL primary case, like the energy just lifts in the room, you know, like people will have a smile and they'll interact and he'll do his thing and, you know, he'll have his toy in his mouth because he's a retriever, so he needs to have a toy in his mouth to say hello <laughs> and he'll be looking at everyone going, saying hello, you know, doing his round like we, so, because we'll walk from the front door, we'll go all, you know, to, all the way to the kitchen to put my lunch in the fridge and he'll be like, you know, looking at who can I say hello to and, mm-hmm. yeah, and, <laughs> and kind of get waiting and he'll wait for, you know, my signal to say that it's okay, you can go say hello to that person and, yeah. 
so all of this, yeah, that's really beautiful and the day comes. Mm. Bless. That's so special. <laughs> so special. It's really fascinating. Really, really cool stuff. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Really, really cool. Have you had much of a chance actually to work through like, you know, those steps, the safety stuff, the processing and, and reconnection back into the community? Have you had enough of a chance with Tango to like really work through that whole process with a client or has or clients or has it been a little bit more fragmented at the moment while you're sort of implementing the program? Yeah, it's more fragmented in the sense like he's the way he helps the session might look very different on each session and what's mm. coming up. So is um, you know, and that's where yeah, that's where sometimes we're not sure what's going to happen. Depends, you know, what the client bring, but often is often there as emotional support as well, and yeah. and a bit of a thermometer of you know of the client and kind of giving those emotional break. But then sometimes there's narratives that come through, in particular around you know um, how you know clients might talk about animal and how interacting with animal is easier because they've suffered so much at the hand of other human beings so there's trust towards the animal but then lack of trust you know towards you know human being and then you can you know you can bring those narratives out and that's where that's where both you know safety and remembrance and mourning is kind of work through because you're touching on you know the trauma materials there but you're also taught touching on you know the the safety and creating safety and what feeling safe again with human beings might look like because obviously they're feeling safe with me they're here in the session and and how that might be expanded to the broader community as well so it's so there's a lot of it's not a linear mm. process like trauma counseling is not a linear process mm. it's very much and and you know you might feel like sometimes you do like um you know two-step um in front you might take a step back and it's got mm. even that to and fro hmm yeah wow fascinating yeah. can I ask one more question to, <laughs> sure. to wrap this up um you know we've we've had you for a bit over an hour so we'll let you go but um I just did want to ask is there anything that you feel that you could pass on to our current students or future students with Therapy Dogs Australia is there anything that you feel like um you yeah you want to reflect on and and say this is something that you might want to be prepared for when you come out of study or or anything like that yeah and I think it's it's what we've touched on before and um making sure that we um we always consider that not everyone loves dogs and mm. that we know how to support ensure people's safety when that's the case and and so always you know that kind of self-reflection around you know you know, the love we've got for our dog can blindside us. And so, mm. yeah, being really reflective about this and, and keeping that in mind, even, you know, when we walk, you know, um, with our dogs or when we, you know, walk through a reception area or in an office, because in particular, if you've got, you know, people who work in, in a con for an organisation where, you know, there's multiple staff where actually animal assisted therapy is not the organisation core business, mm. Well, yeah. then you can't expect that everyone will feel comfortable with having a therapy dog, but also mm -hmm. you can't expect that everyone will voice that discomfort because we Absolutely. we don't necessarily hear that. We hear the enthusiasm, we not necessarily hear the fear. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. Great Something advice. That even I need to remind myself of. 
Mm. Right advice. Love it. Thank you so much, Naomi. That was fantastic. Oh my god, amazing. Amazing. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm very passionate about my work and yes. It was <laughs> absolutely lovely fascinating. About it. <laughs> thank Amazing. you. Thank, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you're interested in studying with Therapy Dogs Australia or you have a few more questions before deciding, please get in touch with us by emailing courses at therapydog.com.au or visiting our website at www.therapydog.com.au for more information and FAQs.